As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. And I'm Tracy Alloway. Uh, Tracy, it really feels like from a market's perspective, this is the closest we've been lately to uh, sort of 2008 financial crisis vibes. Well, since the financial crisis, wouldn't you say? Uh, I would say so, and I would certainly say the uh, the statistics back you up. Biggest weekly sell-off since the financial crisis we've just seen, right? Right. Massive uh, sell-off in risk assets, an extraordinary amount of repricing of expectations for central banks all around the world to come in and intervene. And we've had other periods of sort of semi-crisis um, uh, since the great financial crisis, during periods to say the eurozone but it's just never felt as extremely uncertain as it does right now uh, i don't know i sort of remember late 2015 uh yeah i mean late 2015 you had all the issues going on with credit and you had uh one big fund blow up so i'm i'm still waiting yeah. i'm still waiting for the second order effects of the market sell off that we've seen to emerge that's true. Like we haven't actually seen any sort of major liquidations or mm. institutions of various size like truly go bust yet amid the volatility. Obviously, nobody, uh, you know, we're not hoping that that happens. For now, it's mostly been like a sort of a market's reaction. But as you say, there hasn't really been a, uh, a second order effect just yet. Yep. Very true. So obviously, the, uh, the coronavirus is, um, you know, the clear contributing factor, it's uh, people are uh, gripped by panic all around the world. It started in China late last year. And now it seems to be spreading to countries uh, basically everywhere. But I also think that there is another contributor to the top. It's uh, not just the virus that caused the top. Well, I mean, the virus didn't cause the top. The virus was right. the catalyst for the top to no longer be the right. top and for markets to sell off. But uh, what right. are you thinking about, Joe? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, it's our recent Business Week cover story that our colleague Luke Cowell wrote about when the bull market got weird and uh, about all these traders and online forums making crazy big bets. And I think in retrospect, many people will see uh, the recent cover as what really did the bull market in. <laughs> Yeah, it was good timing. Uh, but in, in the history of, of market crashes, people always go back and sort of look right. for retail investors who start to become really overconfident. Some people actually look at retail investor participation in the market as evidence of the top coming. Uh, and so some of the behavior that we have seen embodied in places like um, what Luke was talking about uh you you could maybe see that as an indication that markets were a little frothy. Yeah. So for those who actually haven't been paying attention to this particular subplot, which is probably most people because there's bigger things going on in the world, uh, over the last several weeks prior to this extreme bout of selling and volatility that we saw, there was a lot of attention paid to the behavior of people on a certain uh, internet web page or chat room or message board, whatever you want to call it, subreddit. in which there was an extreme subreddit. It was on Reddit, an extreme level of speculative activity, particularly in the options market, the likes of which we haven't really seen arguably since the glory days of the Yahoo message boards back during the dot com bubble. And it's a really fascinating story. It's a really uh 
interesting uh, look at how the markets work um, and how uh, retail players can really make a dent in publicly uh, publicly listed equities. Yeah. So this is the thing that I find the most fascinating about this subreddit. It's called Wall Street Bets. And in recent months or over the past year or so, a lot of the people on it don't just think that they found good ways to make money uh, through investing in the market. They think that they found a good way to sort of force the market into uh, or force the market to do what they want it to do. So they actually think that they're impacting how Wall Street functions and pushing up the stock price. And that's where it gets really, really interesting. Are they, in fact, having this impact on the market? Right. And I uh, remember uh, the message boards, the Raging Bull message boards, Silicon Investor, Yahoo message boards from 1999 and 2000. And I think they were far less ambitious than what people are doing uh, <laughs> these days. So for more uh, for more on this, uh, let's start by bringing in uh, Bloomberg's own Luke Kawa, who did have the uh, cover story that cursed the market overall. Uh, Luke, uh, thanks for joining us. So first of all, just basically describe what it was that was worth covering here about this uh, about this subreddit. Well, I I think for so long we've been waiting for the return of the retail investor. And, you know, it's been this kind of uh, long awaited thing that's never really happened throughout any time during this bull market. And this is kind of like the uh, be careful what you wish for story, because what became quite interesting is how you were seeing retail enthusiasm get uh, expressed in the markets. And so I, I remember there was one day, it was January 8th, and this is when Tesla was still below 500, if you can imagine a, a day in which that existed. But uh, it was a Wednesday, and you saw a lot of bidding for the Tesla 700 strike call options that would expire at the end of that week. Tesla had already been up like 25, 30% that week, as was its want earlier this year. But it just seemed like this is this is such a ridiculous bet. Why would anyone do this? This doesn't make sense as a hedge. There's got to be a better way to express a hedge if you're, you know, if you're short the stock or if you sold calls. Like, what's going on here? And someone said, you know, this is just a YOLO bet. And the second I heard, you know, YOLO bet, I, I went to Wall Street. Street bets and tried to see what uh, what they were indeed Yolo, up to. <laughs> you only live once. Why not make a huge uh, wager? Exactly. And you know, when I when I went there, I saw you know a lot of people just uh, that were seemingly enjoying a lot of success on Tesla, and then that spiraled to kind of other story stocks where they you know thought. The, it would do nothing but go up and up and up. And, you know, Virgin Galactic is the, you know, the next example. Plug Power, another one that had its kind of time in the headlights. And then Lumber Liquidators is one I find very interesting because it's not like it's not that fun a stock like Lumber Liquidators compared to Virgin Galactic compared to Plug Power. Like it's it's really hard to wrap an enthusiastic, you know, big story around it. Uh, and yet, you know, a lot of the ones of the three ones I've last listed they have in common it's a relatively low float, a relatively high amount of short interest. So when you got a group of people together that thought, you know, if we're all interested in the same thing and if we are all kind of you know, combining buying power, where can it have an impact? Well, in, in names like this, it can. And you were seeing at least the volumes go up like crazy and it. Uh, it became too much to call it coincident, uh, coincident timing or coincidence after a certain amount of time. So, Luke, two things here. Can you walk us through exactly what the options trading strategy was here? Because, you know, Joe and I kind of alluded to this in the intro, but it wasn't just that they could push the stock up. It was that they could actually exploit a loophole in the way certain financial contracts or Wall Street actually works in order to make the stock go up. And then secondly, would you say that Wall Street Bets is um, representative of the average retail investor? So on the on the first part, uh, the and this this relates to I'm not sure if like if people actually believe this or this just becomes a you know very happy supporting evidence and something that makes you feel a lot better about making your moonshot bet the you know the fact that someone might be there to help uh, accentuate it and help bail you out so the thinking here is that when you like 
say you're buying a call option on on the other side of that if it's a fresh option there's going to be a dealer and dealers are not in the business of taking directional exposure so when they're selling that call uh, what are they doing they're also you know buying a certain amount of stock to hedge their exposure that's called delta hedging and as if the stock does continue to go up from there it uh, you know resetting your delta hedge your which would be kind of gamma hedging but it's really just resetting your delta hedge would entail that as the stock goes up you would be required to kind of buy more and more to make sure that your directional exposure to the stock hasn't changed. So when we described this dynamic, when we were talking about the the Tesla calls, the Tesla C1000 strike calls in, I, I believe, uh, late January, someone on Reddit latched onto this and said, you know, LOL, Bloomberg is admitting that the stock can only go up if we continue to buy calls because of the hedging algorithms, which is, you know, it's it's very much an overstatement of of what can, can actually happen. Can I just step in real quickly because you mentioned delta hedging and gamma hedging and all this stuff, just for people who need a little bit of time to catch up, walk us through very simply. The idea is people buy a lot of call options. The dealer who sells it sells the call options are then on the hook if the call options essentially uh, are become in the money, right? And so in order to avoid that risk of having to pay out a big wager, just like a casino, they have to sort of uh, balance their own books, and that requires them to purchase the underlying stock. Yeah, dealers are trying to make money from from the bid-ask spread and making you pay both sides of it during your transaction. Uh, they're not in the business of really making sure that uh, or or hoping that Tesla goes down they they'd like to be you know cover their butts in all contingencies in all cases so that's what's kind of going on there and it's just you know with some greek letters surrounding it but that's the that's the basic uh kind of scenario and mechanism you described perfectly so trying to exploit the fact that dealers or big banks on wall street need to maintain a, a neutral position when they're writing all these contracts doesn't strike me as something that your average retail mom and pop investor uh is really doing so is wall street bets a little bit different i'd, I'd say they're a lot more uh aggressive about uh certain tactics being used and the kind of uh the hurting behavior i don't think the average retail trader is really trying to think of okay like if I get together with Jim down the street and, you know, Mary across the road, who I play bridge with, if we really get together and start, you know, stockpiling our potential buying power that we can kind of, uh, you know, maybe maybe lift some bids here, maybe get some dealers offside, maybe cause some kind of a gamma chase. So, yeah, it does seem uh, from that uh, from that point of view, a lot more sophisticated and ambitious than, you know, uh, some people, others speculating in op- options might be. On the other hand, just because it sounds more sophisticated doesn't mean it's a better strategy doesn't make uh, what's being said more true because if we've learned anything about kind of the recent market dynamics like presuming you are the only actor in the market and able to move it is kind of it's it's a fool's errand and that's why you know if some if there's power out there to uh, to buy all these options you, you have to recognize that on the other side of it there's going to be uh, potentially a, a a desire to sell, and we've seen you know, a lot of selling pressure come right. into the market that's completely overwhelmed uh, whatever retail buying. Right. Has the been. market's probably, I mean, the market's gotten absolutely clobbered just since your article came out. And presumably, if you had been buying a bunch of call options ahead of that, you are. Uh, one is not doing particularly well this week with that strategy. Yeah, like we we saw a bunch of ten thousand uh, percent up days for a lot of these yeah. moonshot options, but uh, most out of the money and very low delta options are going to expire worthless. It's just the kind of the name of the game. Okay, so on that note, in addition to having Luke join us for our episode today, we have another guest. Luke uh, has said uh, set the stage, but we actually have the founder of the. Subreddit Wall Street Bets joining us now, Jamie Rogozinski. He uh, founded the page, got it launched in 2012. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I want to obviously get to everything that Luke talked about and this sort of crazy phenomenon and force in the market that Wall Street Bets has become. But you started it in uh, 2012. What was the purpose? What uh, when you're like, okay, I'm going to start a new page on Reddit called Wall Street Bets? What were, what were you thinking? Well, I mean, back when I started it, I was looking for a forum where we can discuss high risk trades, uh, more akin to, to day trading or, or high risk or active investing. 
all the forums that I found online, both on Reddit and off Reddit, were were traditional, uh, diversified, long term, uh, long time uh, time horizon type investing. And so I, uh, since I couldn't find it, uh, decided to, to found Wall Street Bets, and it has evolved a bit from what I originally intended. But that was the the original idea behind it. Can you describe the Wall Street Bets demographic? Like, who is your average user on Wall Street Bets, and why are they on that subreddit versus something like uh, the investing subreddit? So, the I don't actually have access to the specific demographics, but I'm going to take a very educated guess and say it's going to be mostly males, uh, young, probably 18 to 35. I mean, obviously, they're old enough to open a brokerage account and, and have uh, enough of an income so that they can um, they make the type of bets that they're trying to make. And why are they hanging out on, on Wall Street bets? Well, I mean, for uh, I have various reasons or various ideas as to why they might want to be doing it. But for uh, probably similar motivations that got me in the first place, right? I was um, single at the time, had a disposable income, had you know, a reason to be a little bit more aggressive um, when when uh, people are older and they have a family and they have to be a little bit more cautious. Well, that's when they want to start taking um, more of a precautious approach to investing. But when they're younger, they can afford to take the risks. And so, you know, Wall Street Bets is a place where what welcomes that type of behavior and it welcomes, welcomes a type of, you know, on some capacity, it's aggressive uh, investing, active investing. And, you know, oftentimes it's straight up gambling. So um, I'd say it's people that are just in that demographic that are looking to make some quick money. Yeah, we haven't really talked about this aspect, but the, in addition to the demographic, and you mentioned people who are willing to take uh, more risk, there's a certain like Wall Street bets mindset. And I've been reading the page off and on for several years. And it's not it's not only that it seems like there is a high degree of sort of like risk taking or thrill seeking. There seems to be also like a certain amount of nihilism associated with it in which people masochism. seem just as excited to ma- masochism too. people seem just as excited about posting screenshots of them losing one hundred thousand dollars or losing a fortune in a single day. Um, as they are as excited about making a bunch of money, there's a lot of egging people on to take more and more risks. What talk to us about that mindset? Just the the sort of the thrill seeking, masochistic, nihilistic aspect that we see on Wall Street bets, and why you think that's that emerges. I'm not sure necessarily that I've seen people egging people on. Okay. Uh, to take on more risk, I think that the peer pressure certainly exists. Uh, you know, I see. Where you're coming at, but I've yet to see somebody say, "Oh, I think you should increase your position, Fair enough. take a riskier position." Uh, I think it's more of a peer pressure type uh, scenario that, that people try to get maybe just attention. People want to impress each other, right? Is that yeah, kind of what yeah, you're saying? They just want to like be cool and impress each other for two, who took the wildest risk. Yeah, that, it would probably be more of motivation like that. But um, you know, as far as the the masochism, I, I think it's more. It's a very honest forum, right? If you go outside of Wall Street bets, or you know, you go on Twitter or FinTwitter, you go any of the other areas. You have a lot of people that have just these huge egos that show these really impressive trading track records. And oh, look at my fancy car that I'm driving. And oh, you know, check out this uh, uh, impressive statistics for my uh, you know trading history and, and and whatnot. And so you you have these glorified people that it's almost impossible to become them. Whereas in Wall Street bets are just very honest with each other and they say, no, no, hold on. It's very difficult to actually recreate what they're talking about. And in some cases, statistically, very improbable. Some people obviously can do it, but most people cannot. I mean, the statistics also back that up. People that want to actively day trade, most of them fail. So I think that it's more of an honest uh, approach to it where they say, okay, I know that I'm likely going to lose money into it. So let's just be honest about this. Let's, let's not, try and uh, pretend that I'm something that I'm not. And uh, and I think that what's celebrated is more the honesty behind that, more so than, hey, check it out, guys. I lost a lot of money. Go ahead and give me some some upvotes and karma. It's, hey, guys, look, I, I tried this. I put my money on the line. I said this was going to happen, and I failed. And so people celebrate that follow-up honesty, and they say, wow, this is a genuine conversation that we're having. So I think that's more the motivation that, that you right. see, and it comes off more as a celebratory lie. I mean, I, I'd agree totally in my in my time during it because you know, 
thinking about all of these stocks that were you know going up there was there were people on wall street that's going no no i'm i'm selling tesla calls i'm doing i'm doing this i'm doing that and then you'd see them come back you know a week two weeks later and go okay so yep uh, all those positions i was talking about earlier i'm getting completely completely hosed if you want to know how much i'm going to get hosed in the future here's the other strikes i'm short out of the money have fun ruining my life type of thing but it's uh, it's very much a an unpretentious honest conversation and it's uh it is refreshing for those who have spent uh you know their their lifetimes or most of their waking hours on finance twitter but uh you know on the on the <laughs> other side of things the there the degree of you know kind of willingness to go in with no information on the other hand the i think the best example would be you know one person posting you know i i don't know what i don't know what options are and i don't know what ll is but uh, I'm I'm up ten thousand this morning, and thank you. This is my lunch break. Coming on to post it. Thank you very much. And then you know, one person going, you know, what what the hell can you expect? It's lumber liquidators. They liquidate lumber. <laughs> it's right there in the name. And uh, yeah, so it's it's fun. It's entertaining, and it's definitely it's definitely a different scene uh, from what I've been used to on the internet. Right. One can never admit on finance Twitter that they made a mistake, but on Wall Street bets, it's almost a, a badge of honor if you have this big loss. Jamie, you actually wrote a book about Wall Street bets, and uh, this is going to sound really condescending, but I I thought it was surprisingly thoughtful and kind of earnest, which wasn't what I was expecting because the subreddit itself tends to be this sarcastic, jokey, macho place. But there was this one chart in your book, and it shows Robinhood account openings alongside the growth of users on the Wall Street Bets subreddit. Can you talk to us about the importance of this new crop of online brokers or the dynamics in the brokerage industry currently in fueling Wall Street Bets? Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, when when I came up with that chart, I was not expecting that. I was very surprised and uh, and even more so surprised when I broke down that chart a little bit further. So. I'll first describe that chart. What I did is I superimposed the growth of Wall Street bets since the inception of Robinhood, uh, you know, the, the growth in terms of subscribers and then uh, the the growth of users of, of Robinhood. And uh, those lines were pretty much right on top of each other. And, uh, you know, the growth was right on part of the correlation was very easy to see. And the the what was even more surprising was I think it was around 2018, if I'm not mistaken, Robinhood introduced stock options as part of their offering, the, the product offering to their users, and they saw a very steep change in, in their growth. They, they ended up having a, a dramatic increase um, in, in users, and Wall Street Bets had the exact same slope change, mm. right? So the, the adoption rate increased, and so, you know, it, it does ask the question, okay, what what uh, is there a correlation here? And I, obviously, I mean, it's, it's hard to um, repeat those because, both of those numbers are big enough that they're statistically significant. I think the proliferation of not just Robinhood, but just all these low commission, now zero commission brokerages are making, uh, lowering the barriers to entry for pretty much anyone. And all the, even traditional brokers, I mean, I'm talking Ameritrade and Charles Schwab and you know, even Vanguard is now offering stock options. Vanguard being the holy grail of, you know, safe ETFs for uh, index fund uh Right, uh, type investing, right? So <clears throat> the, the the fact that you have all these brokers making it really, really cheap, lowering the barriers to entry, you have a lot of uh, let's call them younger people or people that have that want to enter this market with less money or or want to even experiment. Maybe they have the money and maybe they just want to to play with less. Now they they're able to do so. Anyone that wants to play with it, just by definition, would want to find a way to experiment. And I think that experimenting with Place it has more aggressive or more um, diverse type of conversations with different types of securities, more more so than just the stock. I mean, we're talking stock options. We don't talk right. about cryptocurrencies very much on the Wall Street Bets, but obviously that's also part. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com.
Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Glad you mentioned cryptocurrencies because uh, when you talked about the honesty of Wall Street bets, it reminded me of an important point I saw someone make, which is that there are a lot of similarities between this sort of like casino options uh, betting that you're seeing now on Wall Street bets and the crypto craze, especially of late 2017. But the difference is to me, one, is that you guys seem fundamentally more honest because I remember 2017 and all the people going crazy for crypto were also trying to pretend that they like understood something about the technology or like, oh, we're like building some really important decentralized system here or we're going to like run all these. uh, This is going to be a really important smart contract platform upon which all these apps can be built and stuff like all their gambling was couched in the language of technological innovation, whereas it seems like your gambling is couched in the language of gambling. Fundamentally, just way more truthful and honest than crypto of 2017. It's right there in the name. It's yeah. Wall Street well, it's bets. bets. Like, right. it's right but I, uh, I wanted to uh, ask you a little bit more about the sort of mentality, because uh, I think the tagline on the page is like, if the uh, if the Bloomberg terminal met uh, 4chan message boards or something like that. And there is, you know, it's extremely crude. It's extremely uh, politically incorrect, to say the least. Uh, there's a lot of people who, like, refer to each other using homophobic slurs and other things that we have to edit out whenever we do an article or uh, talk about a comment on the page. So I'm just like sort of curious, like, could you explore, explain that aspect of it more? This sort of like, I don't know if it's a deep irony or profanity. I mean, it's right there in the description with the uh, 4chan aspect of it and from whence that aspect of it emerged. Why is Wall Street bets so offensive? Yes, that's a good, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, all right. So the, the tagline itself, yeah, I came across it when I was reading a, a different forum. It was the the finance forum many many years ago, and uh, when people were trying to find a way to describe Wall Street bets, it was very difficult. And somebody just said, "Hey, Wall Street bets is like a fortune or to find a Bloomberg terminal." So it I like. I mean, I do really like it. There is there is a petition underway to potentially change the tagline to "How can we have insider knowledge when we don't have any knowledge?" <laughs> and I I fully, I fully endorse that one. Anyway, go on. Yeah, that's funny. You have uh, that tagline. I put it up there, and it's still true to this day, so we get that one. And, you know, with regards to the overall culture of it, the crudeness of it, the language, look, anyone that's been following Wall Street bets for uh, for a long time has realized that the, the I guess it's the locker room mentality, the, the insults, the slurs, they are they, they come and go in fads. I guess it's just a way to, to, to add on to the fact that this place has, you know, no filter, no, uh, yeah, there's, there's no reason to contain the way that you're expressing yourself or the way that you're trading or the way that these people are trading. And I, you know, I can't really explain how or why it is that they came out that way. But what I do know is, you know, the way that these guys come off, it's very seldom offensive. So for example, recently, you know, they've been referring to anyone that's been bearish in, in a homophobic ma- manner. And uh, now that we've had a a pretty rough week last week. A lot of these guys are in a form of endearing saying, Hey guys, you know, now I'm <laughs> part of that category. And they're saying in, in an endearing fashion, not in a derogatory sense. Obviously it's insulting. Obviously it is, you know, offensive. Um, and, uh, and, and I realize that, but I think that having watched these terms come and go, give it a year. And now it's instead of, you know, referring to homophobic, it's going to be maybe, you know, tall people or, or people that drive certain types of cars or people with certain color eyes, you know, they're, they're equal opportunity insulters. And I've seen these, these trends come and go uh, so often that I've no longer taken and taken it too seriously. At one point, obviously, I was like, wow, this is really distasteful. I can't, you know, I can't be associated with this. But having seen the way that it's not used in a hateful fashion, it's not used in a, in a way that it's mean-spirited. It's obviously offensive. I, I acknowledge that, but it's uh, you know, it's uh, I guess a phenomenon that I can't really explain. So we've talked a little bit about the mentality behind Wall Street bets, and we've talked a little bit about uh, the language used on Wall Street bets. And Luke knows very well that it has its own terminology at this point. But uh, Jamie, maybe you could talk a little bit about 
why certain investments seem to be favored or why certain bets seem to be Mm. favored over others. Like why options versus futures? Why the emphasis on stocks instead of, say, currency trading, which used to be where we used to get these big leveraged bets or we still get a lot of leveraged bets but it seems like an obvious choice for for wall street bets and instead they focused on some very particular types of investments why is that it's an excellent question it's one that i actually explored in the book the the i guess i break it down into two separate components right so why going for leverage versus not leverage um and that's i think self-explanatory if you're going to go out and make a bet, you want it to be leveraged. If you want to buy a lottery ticket, you want to be able to, to multiply your money by a huge percentage. Um, so buying, you know, it's almost impossible to do that with stocks. Uh, and so leverage is the way to go. So looking at the the scope or, you know, the, the tools that are available in the leveraged universe, I've asked myself the same question. Why, why future specifically um, a tool that I personally favor? Why what if they want to use that as opposed to stock options? And my thesis, I can't back it up. My thesis is straight up, it's more available, right? If you want to get approved for stock options on your Robinhood account, you can do it instantly. Or not just, I don't only get pick on Robinhood, just all of the, the stockbrokers. You go in there and you answer a quick little survey. And uh, uh, for a lot of these guys, the answer is obvious what they want you to answer. And in many cases, even if they answer uh, honesty, you know, say, oh, I do have a lot of dependents. I don't have a lot of income, but, you know, I think that they want me to say that I don't want to lose my money. They'll get approved right away for stock options and they can instantly start trading them. Um, and so I'm going to say that it's because it's the most widely available. My guess would be that if futures uh, or if foreign, you know, Forex uh, were to become just as easily available, hmm. it would probably also start getting more popular. Yeah, when when you look at the combination of you know uh, new retail online focused brokerage uh, that combined with you know also high nominal prices on a lot of stocks, your Amazon and your Tesla increasingly, and then the potential for nonlinear payoffs. So like that's that's just the recipe for options in in general. And you've you've seen it really be taken up by the market first six weeks of 2020, you had single stock options up 77% of the notional volume off of record levels already at the end of 2019. So this is this is the Wall Street bets fueled search. So, so I want to uh, talk about the evolution a little bit of the page, because when I first came across Wall Street bets, maybe it was, I don't know, 2015, I forget when I started really looking at it. Early on, like it always had the sort of like, you know, crude, offensive uh, gambling nature, but, you know, a lot of memes. I remember in the early days uh, when I was paying attention, there were a lot of memes about, say, the CEO of AMD, Lisa Su, because that stock was doing really well and she was making everyone a lot of money. And so there was a lot of like sort of like glowing memes about her and all the money they were making and stuff like that. And it was sort of, you know, just normal sort of message board chatter and so forth. When did this new phenomenon emerge where it became less about sort of just posting stuff and ideas versus what the emergent coordination where we started seeing it earlier this year, maybe last year, where the idea is like, oh, we can all be a team. We can all jam the uh, call option purchases. And at the same time, it became less about just trading ideas versus let's see if we can move the market. Well, I'm not sure that I still seen that, to be honest with you. You know, like you've had a lot of this group think mentality going back from for for a long time, just like you just mentioned with AMD. You know, that was yeah. what they referred to as a meme stock. Or even there was an article on Market Watch many years ago uh, when they covered uh, Wall Street bets. They were talking about the stock at the time, or it was an ETF, UWTI, which was like a crude oil ETF. You know, they mentioned a lot in that article. A couple months ago, somebody brought that article on on Wall Street Bets, and when people read it, they said, "What, what in the world is what, UWTI? I've never even heard of this thing before." Right. And and how come this uh, Market Watch article is pumping that stock so much? You know, it seems like that's all the the, the, thing, the things that we care. Obviously, the crowd that was reading this article didn't remember or wasn't a part of it. Uh, I think there's always been a kind of a group mentality, so I wouldn't go so far as connecting it as 
try to, to come up with a coordinated um, uh, buying attempt. Uh, I think that what we, you know, what we what we saw this year, or you know, what Lucas uh, wrote about or has been writing about, you know, is definitely interesting. But I, I've yet to see a group effort where they say, "Okay, guys, let's let's try to manipulate the market." So this phenomenon was first spotted by um, by him using Tesla, I believe, and uh, obviously Tesla had already been a, a somewhat of a, a meme or a meme stock or a focus stock of a. A subreddit, and so you know that one. I think inherently was already being the focus of the subreddit, and maybe it was receiving a lot of attention, a lot of uh, additional volume on the stock options, just because. I'd be curious to see if he did a similar study like that, dating back all the way, you know, to 2015 when AMD was popular. If he finds something similar, so you know, the point of this is, I'm not really sure that some new campaign came out there where he says, all right, guys, this is the new name of the game. Hmm. Let's try and, you know, pump stocks. This this one guy that came out uh, shortly after this article, obviously the article, you know, put it in their heads uh, that, that they can now, you know, found a new cheat code, <laughs> the way they like to refer to it as. Uh, so that, that kind of became a thing. And uh, that brought one guy that uh, posted an article on what was it, the liquid lumberjacks or whatever. I don't want to pump their name anymore, but they, they uh, put the article up there and there was whatever happened and that, that post was removed and they tried again with the second stock and that was removed as well. But that wasn't a case where everybody decided to, all right, this is the this is how we're going to try and, and play the stocks from now on. No, I think that it's, I think it's always just been the focus. If they have uh, a stock that's a lot of focus, it's going to get a lot of volume, it's going to get a lot of activity and I'd be surprised if, it both puts down calls, depending, or especially right now that we're entering into a choppier market, that we're going to see some more right. disagreements with regards to which direction these things are going to go, and the disagreements with regards to how to play any particular stock. Yeah, the the places where I go to kind of hang my hat on this are well, lumber liquidators is the best example because nobody in the world was talking about it, and then there was you know, the post from someone who had been a member of. Wall Street bets for three years, but it never posted anything. And that morning you saw, you know, the equivalent of the last 20 days in call options trade in the first 20 minutes and ultimately call volumes of over 70x the 20 day average when nobody else in the world was talking about it. That's that's where I go to hang my hat. And Microsoft is another one because it really blew my mind that uh, and this was the discovery soon after the kind of the delta hedging cheat code was first kind of bandied about more on Wall Street bets was Microsoft became a target which is odd to me because I you know it's it's a big company and the the idea that you know moving that would be very difficult and the next morning you did see the unusual call activity a pre-market uh, kind of activity that was suggested as the desired tactic that people should take up so it uh, it mapped out a little too well no, so I, I so I agree with you 100%. What what my point is not um you know whether or not the your observations are are, are uh, correct. My point is as an overall community that says, "Hey, community, this is all what we're going to do." What you found is one actor that decided to come up with one stock that as you say is a boring stock that doesn't quite fit the thesis of what they usually like to talk about comes up and yes, he makes the post and, and, and you make the argument that he had uh, a measurable impact on the, on the market. So that's, that's fine. Um, my point is as a community, that's not what their efforts are to be. This is this one guy that, that came on there uh, with a, a shady history, like you said, or, or lack thereof. And, and therefore, you know, the moderator team took action and, and not only with that particular guy, but now a proactive action for identifying those types of, individuals but that's that's what they are they're individuals they're not necessarily as much as the uh, as a collective the wall street bets you know I, I think the microsoft observation i think is more um accurate in that in that sense i don't think you know obviously they joke around a lot and the joke and i did see what you were talking with regards to microsoft like all right now let's do it with microsoft because that one is more uh, of a stock that that fits into the wall street bets Right. portfolio of, of stocks that I like to play with. And obviously it would be a much harder stock to move if they were trying to do that. Um, but they felt that, you know, they went for it anyways, because these stocks are volatile and they're, you know, oftentimes they pick these stocks because they're already on the move and that's how they get on their radar. So, Jamie, I've, 
tweeted a couple of screenshots from conversations going on in Wall Street bets, and I've had at least one instance of someone CCing in the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. And even on the subreddit itself, every once in a while, people will joke and say, hello, hi, the SEC is watching, uh, that sort of thing. Do you worry about the regulators coming in and seeing some of that activity and viewing it as a pump and dump scheme? Yeah. So ever since, you know, we started with Wall Street, bets, we've always been cautious, not just with the SEC, but just with overall um, laws and regulations. Right. So this this uh, goes all the way to anyone that's making any types of threats or any type of uh, suicide threats or or any type of, of activity that's just considered um, gray area. So this this dates back to 2012. This is just part of the the terms of service with Reddit, and it's also part of our moral obligation as as, um, uh, as moderators. And we have a, a big moderator team. We have about 50 moderators, and many of them are very experienced, and many of them are professionals that actually do have Bloomberg terminals, and they do know what they're they're uh, talking about, and they're, they're helpful with trying to identify this. So to answer your question, I, I'm not worried necessarily that they're that they're going to come after um, Wall Street bets uh, specifically. If they're doing any type of investigation, well, I guess they're going to make whatever kind of investigation they want to make. I know that from uh, the moderator standpoint, we do everything that we can to try and, and be responsible with this. We do have very clear rules listed on the subreddit, which include do not manipulate the market, do not attempt to manipulate the market, do not uh, give any type of false information. Uh, do not try to pump any particular stops uh, stock. Do not pump and dump. I mean, all the stuff that that is clearly against the laws or against the regulations or or against the rules, and we enforce those very strictly. And and not only because they're against the laws, but it's also against the spirit of the subreddit. You know, we're all, we're all out there to try and hopefully make some money or to learn and and uh, keep the community entertaining and uh, that's that's what we're there to do and uh, and so so long as we're doing our part uh, to, to actively proactively handle any types of things and look they, they come up all the time you'd be surprised a lot of, a lot of them never even make out to the light of day you know there was for example a couple months ago a situation in which somebody posted a link to a um, a tour and onion site, right? These are these underground uh, dark web. I guess you could refer to them as uh, websites where they share uh, illegal activity. These guys were trying to share inside information, and not only did that post get removed within seconds of it getting up there, we changed the logic of the auto moderator to make sure that it can automatically filter out any type of conversation regards any hmm. links uh, to, to these tour sites or, or insider information. And there's a lot of stuff that never makes it out to the light of day. So if SEC ever wanted to make an investigation, they'd see uh, without a reasonable doubt that we have done very much um, everything that we do uh, in order to, to, to keep this place you know, fun and legal. I'm curious, sir. What do you see as where the typical Wall Street bets user eventually goes? Do they go broke and get so angry with the markets that they sort of walk away? Or do a lot of them sort of graduate to, okay, this was their fun intro to the space, but they want to learn more about investing? Or do they invest, but this is sort of like their version of uh, gambling? Like, you know, like after, what, what, do, you, what do you see as the trajectory of a typical Wall Street bets uh, participant? Well, what I see is probably not what actually happens. <laughs> Once again, I'm going to take an educated guess just based off of my experience. Statistically speaking, most people probably lose their money. Um, it's just uh, the name of the game, especially with the types of trades that they're doing. They are not only going with stock options, one of their favorite types of plays, uh, obviously, stock options aren't just on like forex or futures where you can just bet on direction. There's there's more variables to it, and they choose the types of variables that are the riskiest possible, the, the highest likelihood that they lose their money. Um, and so, just just given that, common sense tells me that most people probably lose money. Um, that said, that's not necessarily what we get to see on the subreddit because maybe they don't post it as much, or maybe they're not as animated to, to give the stories, or maybe they don't get as much visibility. When somebody makes millions of dollars, they do get a lot more attention, and so it's easier to, to make the assumption that everyone's making money. Um, uh, but what I have seen, which is very surprising, is a lot of people that make money, a lot of people that do end up winning these lottery tickets, 
turn out to be extremely rational people, obviously with exceptions. But a lot of these guys, you know, there was uh, an example that I think even Bloomberg covered it um, uh, back in October of 2019. You know, some guy put in $700 or $760 and made over $100,000. I spoke to him as as part of the book to see how he was doing and to get some of his ideas behind the trade. And, you know, he immediately after making that trade closed up his brokerage account. He deposited that money into his retirement fund. I don't know if the IRA or the the 401k or whatnot, but, you know, he said he couldn't focus on work anymore and he had to keep focusing on his job. So he did. And he has not to this day, at least until last month, traded again, nor is he interested because he knows he can't replicate it. Um, That's, you know, that's an extreme example of him straight up closing his brokerage account. But I've seen a lot of people that make it big, take that money, stash it away, and uh, and use that money responsibly, you know, to buy a house, to to invest it into these dividend paying ETFs that are well diversified. They, they like to make fun of, and they, they they're able to uh, to be responsible with the market. So you know, my thesis at this point is a lot of these these this demographic, which is a lot of millennials and uh, Generation Z, you know, they may they may want to actually build the nest egg, and they don't have what to do it with. Maybe it's because of their student debt. Maybe it's because of wages or cost of living. I, I really can tell you I'm not an expert in that matter, but you know, they're, they're looking to try and get ahead or get out of this rat race. And the ones that do, and there's been a lot of them that have made hundreds of thousands and even millions. And have decided to pull back and say, all right, now I've set aside, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. I don't think I can do this again. You know, I, I don't want to become a day trader. Uh, if they've made enough money to retire, then, you know, they do that. And if they've made enough money so that they can <clears throat> continue with their uh, ordinary job and, and invest responsibly, they've done that too. So that leads me to believe that there's more to, to that group than what the surface uh, leads people to believe. So one of the themes running through Luke's article is this question of whether or not uh, the bets made by the subreddit, the options trading can impact the wider market. And in your own book, Jamie, you also talk about the notion of systemic risk. So talk to us about when a bunch of people are taking these kind of levered bets on online brokerages, who's the loser here? Like, where does the the lost money actually come from? And is there a chance that this could negatively impact the market if enough people do it? Uh, you know, if we're if we're talking specifically about these options trades that that Luke was referring to, you know, I guess the losers whoever's on the other side of this bet, but it's really difficult to measure. I mean, you guys understand it just as well as I do. It's not as easy to measure as just a winner or a loser because there's a lot of things at play. You know, the, the, the market is fluid and it goes up and it goes down and it depends on when people enter and exit. Uh, a lot of these brokers are not necessarily just making money off the bid ask spread. They're making money off of the premium from these, these options. And so, uh, if they do end up buying the stocks, um, you know, and the stocks go up, one could argue that they're making money as well. Uh, if the entire stock market goes up and everybody is long the stock market, you know, it's difficult to argue that anyone's losing. But it's not that simple, right? You know, it's, it happened last week and anyone that had all those shares in their possession is no longer as happy as they were um, two weeks ago. So, yeah, so I'm not necessarily sure who the winner or the loser is. I suppose it really depends. What about more generally? I guess what I'm getting at is if someone takes a big levered bet uh, and, you know, they put in a thousand dollars, make some sort of trade and they end up 10,000 or even a 100,000 in the red. Who's the loser on that one? And what happens to the brokerage that let that trade go through? So you have a huge number of people that are taking that are playing with some very sophisticated tools, right? Um, and they're using it in ways that they don't fully understand them. Um, and, and, and they're posing what I believe to be a systemic risk. Um, and so, you know, the, so, some examples of this, which I find to be extremely fascinating, which was one of the biggest motivators that I had to write this book in the first place was the securities like the VIX so that revolve around the, the volatility index that then have ETFs on top of them and they have leveraged ETFs and they have, you know, stock options on top of those. Um, those are extremely 
extremely, extremely complicated. People that know what they're doing don't know how to explain it to other people <laughs> that also know what they're doing. I've noticed that um, in conversations. So, so if you have a kid that opens up his, his broker account on his cell phone during his lunch break and types in UVXY or TVIX or whatever, you know, it's just a symbol like Apple. They don't know. They just got a price that moves up and down, and it moves up and down a lot, so it looks like fun, right? Because it seems like it's got one of the properties it requires for them to make a trade. So maybe they'll look it up and they say, oh, something to do with volatility, whatever. I'm only going to hold this for a few minutes or a few days, so I could care less what the what the company does or <laughs> what their earnings report right. is, VIX has to do. So. You know, they'll buy options on top of that because it turns out they'll have those as well. And then they'll just, you know, lever up, a, you know, in ridiculous amounts, not realizing that there's a huge mechanism behind this, right? Like we all, well, maybe you guys remember the big Volmageddon February 5th, 2018, that, you know, where we had an example, the the market showed a weakness in uh, the, because of the existence of all these tools, right? Because there there's so many of these ETFs that, that they had to rebalance at the end of the day, both the ones that were short as well as the ones that were leveraged long. The VIX had spiked so much that particular day that, you know, that, that come 4 o'clock, they were all going to have to buy VIX features. And so all the participants that know this, which is pretty much everyone, decided to front run this during the daytime. So they drove up the VIX even further. You know, and that made part market participants even more nervous. So they ended up buying put options on the S and P, which obviously drove the VIX even higher. Which you know made people nervous, and they started to start selling some of their stocks, which you know causes a bigger drop. And and this feedback loop was disastrous. And and a lot of what happened that particular day had nothing to do with coronavirus or some right. You know that detonator. That was a complete systemic. Uh, failure of these really sophisticated tools. And so now you have these kids that are, you know, there are millions of them and millions and millions, and they're using very leveraged tools to exploit these millions and millions of, of uh, 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 very complex securities, and they're plugged into, you know, this interconnected system. And, yes, I believe that there is uh, that there is a risk at play. I, once again, I'll, I'll struggle to define a winner and a loser, but, you know, but I, I do worry... Um, with the fragility of the of the system, Jamie. Uh, before we wrap up he- real quickly, I have to note the sort of poetry or perfection of this moment that we're interviewing. Because literally, while we're talking and recording this podcast, I see that Robinhood is experiencing an outage. Uh, so amid this extraordinary volatility that we're seeing in the market, uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, frustrated Wall Street bets users. They have a thing on their status page saying, right now, we are experiencing a system-wide outage. We are working to resolve this issue as soon as possible. So presumably a lot of people not able to trade, frustrated that they can't take advantage of the volatility one way or another. Kind of a perfect timing. Uh, final question, just in terms of, I have two very quick questions for you. Is One, have you yourself made money overall trading options? And two, uh, where do you want to take Wall Street bets, what do you see? Is it a uh, future or are you just going to sort of let the people do their thing? Um, with options, I have not made money. Uh, I guess that's, that's probably the first time that I've said that. The options are, <laughs> are really tricky. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and I, I, I lost a fair amount of money with them. But, you know, I also learned uh, a huge amount about the market with that. I've since moved on to different instruments that have, to be more profitable, but um, but no, the stock options are are, are, are a tricky thing to make money with. Um, and with regards to the direction of Wall Street bets, uh, I guess there's twofold. Number one, you know, it has to some extent a life of its own. Uh, its own. I I haven't directed Wall Street bets into what it is now. You know, I, I have uh, let the community take it wherever it wants to go, and the moderator teams take it to where it wants to go, and so. We'll see what that means for the future. And as far as what what I might want to do with it, well, you might be hearing about uh, uh, some of my ideas here in a couple of weeks. I have no doubt about it. Okay, great. Well, Jamie, uh, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, It's obviously sort of a fascinating experiment window into a psyche of uh, at least a handful of market participants. And I really appreciate you taking your time to uh, explain uh, the history and perhaps the future of Wall Street bets. Not a problem. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks so much, Jamie. 
And we want to thank Luke Kawa, of course, for coming on and uh, walking us through the technical details a lot of a lot of this options trading, as well as for his great Business Week cover story. So thank you to Luke Kawa as well. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So one thing I, I was thinking about is this... Um, this difference between our investing and our Wall Street bets. And on the one hand, you have a group of people who are sort of playing by the rules and investing a little bit of money in, you know, passive stuff like S&P 500 funds and sort of eking out little returns every once in a while. And then you have the our Wall Street bets people who are making uh, this big money and sort of, well, big money and big losses and also trying to find cheat codes to exploit the system. And I guess the big question that I'm thinking now is, which one of those should the stock market be? Like, there's an argument that the stock market or the market in general should be about efficiently allocating companies' capital uh, or capital to companies. And I don't know. I I could sort of argue it both ways. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think both need to exist. And, you know, there's always been this spectrum in any given market, right, between the sort of pure speculation, short-term gambling mentality, and the longer-term fundamental investing mentality. And we did a uh, some episodes recently looking at how the sort of pure long-term passive investing mentality has been gone to a very uh, large extreme with people not taking any risks Mm. uh, of individual stock selection or market timing and just blindly buying uh, the entire index every paycheck. And so it's not surprising that if the sort of long-term passive uh, approach is getting more and more extreme, more and more vanilla, that you would then see uh, the sort of mirror image happening on the other end. And so then you see the people who do try to, like, quote, beat the market or take idiosyncratic security risk going absolutely to the extreme the other way. And what you get is you sort of hollow out that middle of the old days of, like, you know, people buying 30 stocks for their portfolio. Value That's investing. the part that seems really quaint. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, it's sort of two extremes um, at the end of a a sort of barbell, I guess. The other thing I'm wondering is, you know, it's fine to see people taking these sorts of bets and blowing up their Robin Hood accounts as long as it's their own money and as long as it doesn't affect the wider market. But then the point that Jamie touched on at the end, which is we do have some instances where options trading has impacted the underlying index, such as XIV and the VIX back in Volmageddon. And uh, again, we mentioned the Robin Hood blowout at the end, and you sort of have to think whether or not a lot of the brokerages and the zero commission trading are encouraging a a race to the bottom when it comes to enabling these sorts of levered bets. A, yes, but B, I would just say, you know, for as big as they are, you know, there are institutions that are 10 times bigger throughout history established serious, respectable institutions where people have PhDs and write equations and they all wear a tie to work that have caused far more damage than anything on the message board. So while I'm sure that is a potential phenomenon, uh, if Wall Street bets did create some sort of endogenous volatility, they would not be the first by any stretch. No, that is totally a fair point. And no ties or PhDs, presumably, on uh, Wall Street bets. I got to say, there are one probably thing... a few now, to be fair. Well, yeah, OK. Well, that kind of brought me to my last point, which was in Jamie's book, the guy that lost a bunch of money on XIV who was on Wall Street bets, I think this was the biggest loss ever on Wall Street bets. Jamie says he ended up working for a uh, unnamed financial institution. So uh, <laughs> there is some overlap between professional he finance and be, Wall Street bets. He wouldn't be the first person who made his name and career by losing a lot of money. <laughs> or some, somehow I feel like in finance, if you uh, if you lose a little bit of money or in trouble, if you lose a lot of money, you could probably uh, you know find a new job and do something else. Yeah, so weird uh, and yet so true. Okay. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. 
And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And you should follow our colleague Luke Kawa on Twitter at LJ Kawa. And follow Jamie on Twitter. He has the handle at Wall Street Bets. And be sure to follow our producer on Twitter, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And for all the Bloomberg podcasts, check them out under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.